And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. I know I can lead men. I know I know the game of football and I'm passionate about it. I spent 14 years in a locker room. I went to the playoffs 12 times. I got five dudes in the Hall of Fame that I play with. You don't think I've seen greatness? Welcome back to 1% Better, to the Upper Quartile Podcast, to whatever you want to call it. We might have a new name in the next couple of weeks, depending on who the coach land on at the head coaching position. This is Zach Kiefer, joined by James Boyd. James, about seven or eight or nine days into this coaching search, I've lost track. We're not near the end, which probably shouldn't be a surprise. The Colts originally started with a list of 12 names. We'll dig into each at this point. We'll get our thoughts on those. I'll share some information that I've gathered but again, information's hard to come by right now because the Colts are playing this extremely close to the vest, which shouldn't be a surprise. But James, I mean, that's a long list. What does it tell you, first of all, not just in who they're going after, but in the big, big, big number of candidates that they have sat down with so far and that they will sit down with by the end of this week, ideally? I think the biggest takeaway for you, me, and everyone kind of following the team is that it appears that Chris Ballard is leading the search. I know he said that, but obviously we can only go off of the evidence because there have been right. instances. Action is not season. words, right? <laughs> right. There have been times this season where he's been overstepped and overruled by Jim Ursay, um, i.e. Matt Ryan, Frank Wright, and hiring you know Jeff Saturday. So I do think that that gives some legitimacy back to his legs and what he's standing on and also just gives legitimacy to the team around the league. I think that with so many interviews and if you're really doing it the right way, which I'm sure they are as far as thoroughly evaluating these guys, that gives you something to kind of bounce back from when you kind of had your reputation hit because of how things kind of transpired with the interim coach. And so I think that that's a good way to look at it and a good way to kind of cast a wide net. And then also, I mean, you got a variety of guys, you know, young, middle age, older guys, you know, offense, defense, special teams. You know, so I do think that there is a lot of ways they could go, obviously. And, you know, I know <laughs> Twitter probably won't like this, but, you know, none of them are perfect. None of them, you know, are absolute home run hires, as everyone would like to speak. Or some are for others and, other, you know, for others, they aren't. So I do think that they've done their due diligence. And now we'll probably see them maybe send out a couple more interview requests. But I do think over the next week or so, we'll start seeing some of those numbers get whittled down. And then we'll get into like the meat and potatoes of, okay, you know, at some point you got to, you know, pick your guy. I think it's telling the the pool of candidates that they've gone after. I thought it was telling that they didn't sit down with Jim Harbaugh. That tells me that the Chris Ballard was not interested in bringing in Jim Harbaugh. And that's the sense I got from the building. Now, maybe Jim Ursay felt differently. But again, Harbaugh has chosen to stay at Michigan after interviewing with the Broncos. So I think there was NFL interest on his part, despite his awkward public statements on the matter. But let's run through the candidates real quick because they're all coordinators. And about besides Bubba Ventrone, who's in the Colts building right now, 
they're all offensive or defensive coordinators. There's no position coaches. There's no college coaches. I think that's interesting. Um, now, Beba Ventrone is, is very well respected, obviously, among Colts fans, obviously within the building. Him and Ballard are very close. Now, they have butted heads before on personnel matters, but that's what you would expect with a special team coach fighting to get his guys and Ballard managing the roster. But again, those guys have a lot of respect for each other. That did not surprise me. James, as you know, talking to a lot of the special teams guys this year, they freaking love Bubba Ventrone. So that move didn't surprise me. He's in the building. There will be one more interview with a man already in the building. That's Jeff Saturday. We'll dig into Jeff in just a minute. But the outside candidates so far that they've interviewed Ijiro Evero, the defensive coordinator for the Broncos, who's obviously got some interest elsewhere. Eric Bieniemy, who they sat down with last Thursday, the Chiefs offensive coordinator, several interviews for head coaching jobs the last couple of years, has not landed one. Raheem Morris, last Friday, the Rams defensive coordinator, previously a head coach very, very early in his coaching career in Tampa. Look, this interview went really well, and I heard that from both sides, and this is a guy that 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 got his inter- that got his opportunity very early. He was just 33, and he's really been working to get another opportunity ever since. But he's got some very vocal backers in the league, among them Sean McVay. I've heard some really good things about Raheem Morris. I'm not willing to say that he's a front runner because there's so many names on this list, and the Colts are keeping this close to the vest. They're not sharing a lot about this search. I thought that would be the case. So be careful what you hear out there about how this is going. Ben Johnson, who they sat down with last Friday, the Lions offensive coordinator, he has pulled out. He's going to remain with the Lions. Aaron Glenn, Shane Steichen, and three more requests this week, D'Amico Ryans, Mike Kafka, and Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator for the Giants. So a lot of offense, a lot of defense. And add Dan Quinn in there as well. Add Dan Quinn in there as well. There you go. I knew I was missing one. So just two guys who have been head coaches before, Raheem Morris and Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn obviously was with Matt Ryan in Atlanta. Some veterans who've been assistants for a long time and who are very good at what they do. Wink Martindale comes to mind. D'Amico Ryans is a fast climber. Mike Kafka, you can say the same thing. So a very much varied pool of candidates right now. Does any name stand out to you, James? Here's what I always go back to with this. You're going to draft a rookie quarterback. Who do you want to build around? Who do you want to be there with that quarterback as he ascends, ideally, and changes the face of this franchise for the next couple of years? I keep thinking you need to marry that quarterback with the next head coach. That's a good way to look at it. I don't think that's the only way you can do it, but again, the Colts are in a unique situation where they're really making their two biggest franchise decisions roughly at the same time. And so I think Shane Steichen is, is one that comes to mind just because of his history with quarterbacks. And I know, you know, Philip Rivers, Justin Herbert, they were top 10 picks, you know, prototypical style quarterbacks. Um, obviously, Herbert's, you know, more mobile. But then he's done some work with Jalen Hurts. And you're like, wow, like this is a guy who's taken a huge step forward in his third year. You know, 35 total touchdowns this year, which is the same as, you know, combined as his first two years. Obviously, he's an MVP candidate. Like these things usually don't happen this fast for a second round pick. And so to see that development, that's encouraging. And so you've seen Shane kind of build offenses around quarterbacks who have different traits and they've been successful in all of them. And so that's something that kind of intrigues me. But I also go to the flip side where it's like if you get a guy like D'Amico Ryans who is so well-respected, you would expect him to be able to go out there and get, you know, an offensive coordinator that is is high level, that is, you know, um, unique in the way he thinks and, and is able to, 
you know, bring quarterbacks along. So I think that's a big part of the interview process. And I know you touched on this in your piece. You're not just interviewing for yourself per se. You're interviewing like what all you can bring. Like, okay, this is how I would do things. Like this is my philosophy, but also here's who I would probably, you know, peg to be my OC or my DC or my special teams coordinator. And here's how we would kind of delegate those, um, you know, different actions or different um, responsibilities. So I do think it's twofold. However, I would lean more towards, you know, a Mike Kafka type, Shane Steichen. At first it was Ben Johnson, just because you think, you know, you kind of want to make sure that you're building some infrastructure right away. And you would, I guess, on paper, love to have a coach who's, you know, kind of like that right-hand man for your young quarterback, because a lot is riding on that, on that young quarterback. And as we can see throughout the NFL, I mean, development is everything, right? Situation is everything. So you can't just bank on, oh, he's super talented, but we'll just get him right in the cup. Like, no, you you really, I think that really matters. I mean, unless you're the Andrew Lux, the Peyton Mannings, you know, the Joe Burrows, you can't usually come into any situation with any guy and make it work. Like you really, with this group of, you know, quarterbacks without that consensus top tier franchise altering guy, I do think that you need some more structure. So we'll see if that, you know, kind of lends itself to maybe, putting a guy up or down on um, Chris Ballard's list. But again, they cast a wide net and I think that's smart of them to do so. And to also just, again, kind of earn some respect back around the league where guys, even if they don't end up here or whatever, if other things come up in the future, you know, you, you understand like, okay, this is a, a franchise that actually will, you know, consider me for, for the gig. Yeah. And I think it's, it's really important to, to mention these are beneficial for the teams and it's not just, weighing these different candidates, it's hearing what other really smart people in the league think about their operation. One of the questions that was thrown out from a candidate in one of these interviews over the last week was, what happened to you guys? You guys were nine and six last year after that win in Arizona, and it's all fallen apart since. How did that happen so quickly and so precipitously? And I think that's a good question. Obviously, the Colts are trying to answer the same thing. And some questions that have been asked are the same ones that Chris Ballard and Ed Dodds and all those at the top of the organization are asking themselves, what the hell happened to the offensive line? People have on the outside noticed what has happened inside an Indian. I think I think it's really valuable for a guy like Chris Ballard and Ed Dodds and, and the people that are running the search to hear from rising, really smart people around the league who are obviously having success because they wouldn't be having an interview unless they were coming off a good season or several good seasons at their current role. And to get their thoughts on on what the Colts are thought of around the league, what the roster looks like, where the holes are, what mistakes have been made, because we know there have been tons of mistakes made, which is why they're in this spot. And I think that's really valuable. And I think that's going to be a good thing for the Colts in the long run to hear these frank, honest, and oftentimes blunt opinions about where they're at. And when I look at this list, you know, I, 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 I lean towards experience because of what the Colts just went through zero experience and it was just a, it was an utter disaster the last eight weeks of the season and Raheem Morris 46 years old he's been in the league as a coach for 21 years and Shane Steichen I mean he's 47 he's not as young as as you might think he's been in the league for 12 years so that matters I think when we're talking about what you just mentioned right building a coaching staff so as a candidate you're going to sell not only yourself but your vision right and your vision includes who you can bring on and I just feel like these guys who have been assistants for a long time are so much more well-prepared to lure top coaching candidates to be around them 
and that matters so much. Look at what Mike McCarthy did in Dallas a couple years ago, right? He gets the job. He was sort of su a surprise pick. How much is he really going to do without Aaron Rodgers, right? What did he do? He hired the best name on the market to run his defense. That Dallas defense was abysmal before Dan Quinn got there. And now they're among the best in the league at takeaways and, and in so many categories. So like that matters. And Frank Reich, he got a lot of help early on from, from, from Josh McDaniels hiring Matt Eberflus. We don't need to get into that. But I really felt like the Colts, the Colts fell off in assistant coaching quality the last couple of years. They lost Jonathan Gannon. They lost Nick Sirianni. And they lost Eberflus last year. And they didn't really replace those guys, in, in my opinion, with coaches that were that good. And that hurt the team. I really feel like that hurt the team on offense. They missed Sirianni the last couple of years. And that was obvious to anyone watching. So that matters. And to pivot to Jeff Saturday... Look, this is, the, this is the one thing that jumped out to me when I thought about what Jeff Saturday said about the head coaching position a couple weeks ago. He said, if I'm the head coach, I'm not going to run the defense. I'm not going to run the offense. I'm going to hire guys to do those jobs. I don't want to do those jobs. That's good. One, he's not qualified to do those jobs. Two, it just makes me feel like he just wants to be the CEO. He just wants to be the overseer. And this is not to pick on Jeff Saturday, but in order to be the CEO, in order to be the head coach who can just overlook everything, you have to be very, very well-schooled in all those positions. He hasn't done any of those positions. The reason you can sit back and oversee a defense and let your coach do his thing is because you know that unit really well and vice versa with the offense. And the, one of the reasons Belichick is so good is because he can coach every position on the field. He's very rare in that regard. I don't think sitting here right now that Jeff Saturday could bring in as good of a coaching staff as almost any other name on this list. And that has to matter in the Colts' minds. That has to matter in Chris Ballard's decision. I feel like that's really important. And again, you don't want to just hire your buddies. You don't want to just hire your former teammates, even if they're Reggie Wayne and Peyton Manning and all those guys. And you don't want to just hire yes-men. You need to hire different, varied coaches with different skill sets who will challenge you and who will challenge their respective rooms. And I think that's really important. So as one person put it to me, none of these coaches are perfect. So what you're doing is essentially what teams do with draft picks. You're betting on their traits. It's going to be hard. It's going to get ugly. There's going to be mistakes, and there's going to be really bad times. That's how this league works. How is this guy prepared to handle that? I think that's what the gamble is when you hire a head coach from this pool. I mean, if you look at this year, no one's hired a head coach already. Why? Probably because there's no slam dunk candidate outside of Sean Payton. I think any team would be happy with Sean Payton. But that's where it's going to get interesting, and that's where it's going to come down to instinct and intuition and their homework. And clearly, James, they are doing lots and lots of homework on a lot of candidates right now. Yeah, and I also think to your to your last point about you know not having that slam dunk hire so far, I do think whenever any team kind of pulls the trigger and picks their guy, we'll maybe see a domino effect. Like, okay, kind of like free agency, you know, you kind of wait for that first deal to kind of set the market and kind of decide where guys are going to go. And I do think that's going to be a huge decision, not only for your franchise, but how the league kind of shakes out with these other, you know, head coach vacancies. And to your point about Jeff Saturday, I do want to say this because this was pointed out to me on Twitter and I went back and reread his comments about, you know, Hey, I, I could have been a DC or OC for 15 years. I could have been this and I'll still only be a head coach. I, I do think that there's two sides to how you can break that down. Like, Hey, I only, I only want to do this job or, you can kind of look at it like even if I did have this experience, I still wouldn't be the OC or DC or the play call or whatever and do the head coaching job. Like I would only do the head coaching job and kind of oversee from that standpoint. 
So I kind of see both sides of it. But the one thing that I can't get past, we've talked about this previously, is you were offered the chance to be brought on as an offensive line coach. You turn that down multiple times. And then as soon as the head coaching job opens up, suddenly you're free, you're available, you can come in and coach. So that's not the greatest look. And again, obviously the, the record now, I mean, it looked bad when you got hired from the outside looking in, and then it looks worse now because of what happened, you know, the, the one in seven, the largest, blown lead in, the largest blown lead in NFL history, things like that. So not to harp on the guy, but I do think that, you know, with every candidate, it's hard. It's hard to justify it. And then even when I was doing my initial, like that first six or seven candidate, like breakdown, you know, Jeff Saturday, I got the, I got like a little part of it that was for experience. And you got, again, D'Amico Ryans and, you know, Shane Steichen and, and all these guys who have had, you know, five, six, you know, decades in the league sometimes. And I get to Jeff Saturday, and I had to put eight games. It's like one of these things is not like the other. And so, again, I don't think that he could never be, you know, a coach in the NFL again or never get another shot. It's just I still think that there's something to be said about paying your dues and kind of working your way up. And then also – through those experiences, you do build more relationships on the coaching side where you're able to, when you do get a chance to kind of elevate, to maybe tap some guys on the shoulder and say, hey, do you want to come work with me? Because we were, you know, at this place together, kind of grinding it out and doing all the grunt work together and, you know, and kind of understanding what it takes to get an opportunity that's not the one you want right away, but kind of build towards that. And so when you skip steps, it's probably a great feeling when you like jump right in and you do it. But now it's kind of like, taking you out at the, at the knees a little bit because it's hard to justify what happened. Like it's easy to be the the guy that jumps in. And if you have a ton of success, you're like, Hey man, man. Yeah. He didn't have experience, but they, they won a lot. They, they showed improvement, but like with you, it's like, Oh, this was pretty much a failure. So we'll see. But I do think it's also interesting that he hasn't been interviewed yet. You know, I know that that's been, the Colts have been reporting every single completed interview and we haven't seen that for Jeff Saturday. I do think that it's hard, man. Like you're going in after, you know, Raheem Morris. You're going in after, you know, Ben Johnson, who obviously is not going to take the job because he's standing with the Lions. But you're going in after other candidates. And it's like, it's almost like if you were in his position, you want to get in first and, and be like, or, or maybe get in last and be like the last person to talk to him and last person six in their mind. But even then, it's, it's, it's a tough sell, man. It, it's a tough sell. But I do think, again, if this comes down to, Chris Ballard picking the next head coach. He's done a great job of of casting a wide net and really just avoiding any possibility, I think, of like being scrutinized by the league because there's I can't say there's no way because I'm not in the building, but I would think that there's no way you would waste all of these candidates' time, all these franchises' time who have to give you, you know, permission to interview their guys, and you come back and you pick the guy who is the least qualified by a mile. It's not like, you know, he's, you know, oh, he only has two or three years of experience. He's got eight games. And so that's, and then again, not having college experience, like just something where it's like, you can point to more than this small sample size, which again, isn't a great small sample size. So yeah, it'd be one thing if it was, and this is what I keep Zach, coming back. And I, I know, man, I know. I, and, and that's a really good point, and that's what I keep coming back to. Like, if you remove emotion from this decision, which you need to, you need to remove emotion. You need to look at these things in very tangible ways. Like, Evero is going to sit in there and say, our offense was a mess this year in Denver, and those guys were checked out, and we couldn't score more than 12 points a game, and I led a top-five defense the whole year. I got my guys to buy in. And at the end of the day, players play well when they believe in the coach. And when do they believe in the coach? When they believe the coach is going to put them in the best possible position to do well for themselves and for the team. 
It's that simple. It's not that complicated. And Evero got that out of his defense as just one example. Raheem Morris helped Sean McVay win a Super Bowl last year. And he's done a good job of melding a lot of personalities on that defense. They've got one of the best players of all time in Aaron Donald. They got Jalen Ramsey. Did you hear Jalen Ramsey's comments, though, Zach, where he's saying, like, you know, he came out to the media and he's saying, Rise, that that guy, Ra teaches us stuff all the time. Like, there's, you know, something he taught me right before I walked over today. And that's what you didn't hear with Jeff Saturday, right? Like, you didn't hear, this is what I learned. This is what I was taught. It was, you know, hey, he holds us accountable. Hey, he cares. Hey, he shows up every day. But there wasn't, like, a lot of details as to how has this guy helped me improve as a player. And so right. I think that's a huge, huge point. And, and again, when I was doing my, again, my breakdowns of all the different coaches, that first wave, now I was looking for quotes from players or, or other coaches, you know, that they're on the staffs of and seeing what they were saying. A lot of these players are saying, this is what I learned from this guy. This is what he taught me. This is how he empowered me. This is how he made Frank. me feel. Right. Right. And again, you were not hearing that. Even in the most glowing compliments of Jeff Saturday, it was again, more so about accountability. He's a player's player. He shows up. He cares. I don't doubt that at all. But again, you would like to hear more about what are you actually changing, not from like a general X's and O's standpoint, but somewhere in that realm. Like this is how I've gotten better. This is how this team has gotten you know better tangibly, quite quite frankly, without all this philosophical, you know, oh, mindset, you know, leadership. Like all that sounds great, but nobody cares if you don't win. Like how did the players get better? I would love to hear that answer. I would love to hear that. And I don't want to hear the accountability stuff because that only goes so far. Shane Steichen's going to sit in that room and say, look, a lot of people were knocking Jalen Hurts. He was terrible in that playoff loss last year. There were some questions on whether we would stick with him, whether we would trade up and draft a quarterback. He's in the MVP race this year, and he probably would have won it if it wasn't for the late season injury, Mahomes, Mm -hmm. all that. But like, that's tangible player improvement at the most important position on the field that changed the trajectory of the Philadelphia Eagles. D'Amico Ryans. I mean, that's that's a monster defense that just punishes <laughs> oh you. I love watching the 49ers. Looks, yeah, it doesn't look fun. Mike Kafka. Like, we saw that game in New York. Like, we saw, and we talked about this when we were walking to the car before we had to change the flat tire. Like, <laughs> we don't think the Giants are that good. Like, we don't think their offense is that good. But they play, they're coached so well that it makes the most of all the skill sets they have. Like, Daniel Jones is not... He's not that good, but he is. Like, I'm not trying to knock him. I was like, say, you got me like looking like, like, man, this guy's pretty good, Zach. Like, like, and I watched that whole Vikings Giants game on Saturday, and Daniel Jones played out of his mind and deserves all the credit. But it's very obvious to me the coaching has changed things in New York. It starts with Brian Dable, but he also went out and, like I mentioned earlier, hired an unbelievable staff, starting with Kafka, who had worked with Mahomes in Kansas City, and then also. Wink Martindale, who's just been terrific as both the Ravens defensive coordinator and now the Giants of D.C. So, like, that stuff matters. Like, being able to sit in an interview and be like, I got these guys to play the best football of their career, the Colts cannot ignore that and they cannot overlook that. And Dan Quinn, as I mentioned, like, they have changed completely in Dallas on that side of the ball. And and that matters as well. And he's got the head coaching experience. So I'll say this real quick. I know... uh... (laughs) I know Colts fans probably enjoyed watching what that defense did to Tom Brady and the Bucks, so I'll leave it at that. Oh, <laughs> it was it was awful. <laughs> just like it's just I oh, I don't know man. if he comes back, man. But like, why? Man, it like, was why spooky. Come back? It was spooky out there. Okay, it was looking a little spooky out there. I know he's not coming to Indy. <laughs> and here and here's my thing, and and this is not something that's anyone's told me. 
But I think about this a lot because I'm locked into this coaching search. I just I just cannot see Jim Irsay overstepping Chris Ballard. I cannot see it happening again. He not to it. this magnitude, he right? He did it in not November. This level. And that was a different situation. That was an interim role. They were betting on Jeff Saturday. And he was willing to take that gamble knowing that the season was probably lost. Jim Irsay told me in a conversation in November that, look, we were 1-4-1 and one in the division. It didn't matter, right? Like, we were trying to win games, but, like, we knew we were buried already. So... That's fine. You roll the dice on Jeff Saturday, it doesn't work. You cannot make the same mistake again. I really don't think they will. And again, this is just me talking, and I'm not the one making the decision. But let me go back to this. This is a quote I dug up from 2018, early in that January, right before they started the first coaching search with Chris Ballard. This is the one that led initially to Josh McDaniels, and then secondly led to Frank Reich. This is what Jim Irsay said. My philosophy has always been my general manager runs the football operations. The GM is in, in charge of the coaching search and bringing in candidates and bringing me, the owner, one or two or three. And I cannot think of one time, not one time over the 40 years, where I haven't followed the recommendation of the general manager. To step in and object, Ursay said, it would have to be a very rare situation. Two things. We know that Jim Ursay says things and does things that are very different sometimes. We cannot take him at his word. He violated that creed earlier this season. We know that. But I don't think he's going to have Chris Ballard bring in possibly 11 or 12 candidates, interview all of them, and then say, thanks for all your hard work, but I'm going to stick with Jeff. I just can't see that happening. I think the fans out there would riot, and they would have a lot of rights to do so. And it would I think it would be a huge risk at, at, at the future of this franchise. Your thoughts on, on just what Jim Mercer might do? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think he has to let Chris Ballard do his thing. And quite frankly, I, I'd have to wonder if Chris Ballard would even want to stick around. Seriously. Like, I know he, you asked him that question, took a long pause, the longest pause ever. That's a really good point. But, like, what if he gets usurped again? Anyone will be frustrated when you're asked to do a job and then it's like, okay, thank you, you know, goodbye. It's like you writing a, you know, huge feature, Zach. And it's like, ah, you know, that's great, but I'm going to just chop every, all that stuff off and just go with what I want right anyways. It's like, why did I just waste my time? And so I think that that's a... This is the job you hired me to do. You hired me to go find Exactly. Him. So you have to let him go do that. And again, there isn't that safety valve where you can just say, oh, it's just an interim coach. Oh, it's just this. Oh, we'll reevaluate this later. Like, no, this is the real thing now. And so whatever decision you make, that's the decision that you're making for your foreseeable future. And so I just don't see that happening. If it did, I think, oh man, I think it would be absolute chaos. And I, I seriously think the NFL would have a lot to investigate or look into because that would just be make a mockery of the entire process. And, not, and that's not even like Rooney rule related. I know you had a piece on that, which was great insight as to how things really are for minorities and black people. I mean, not only in sports, but just life, you know, sometimes, the resources you have, the opportunities you have are just not the same. And you got to work twice as hard, you get half as far, all that type of stuff. But I'm not getting on the soapbox of saying how things are, how things should be. I'm just saying from a general experience standpoint, 
you know, black, white, blue, whatever, you have a lot of coaches out there who are more experienced than Jeff Saturday. So again, if you were to give him that job, I just think that that would be massively bad for the Colts and for the league. And so if you don't want to go to that level, I think you have to hire someone. And again, everyone's going to have their opinions on who should be brought in, who should be the guy, who should be handed the keys. And again, none of these guys are, I mean, we have talked about, but it's not Sean Payton. Like, I think if everyone was, was, I think if Sean Payton interviewed for the Colts job, everyone would be kind of be on the board like, hey, let's get this guy. You know, he's going to be great. He's worked with a great quarterback before. He's done this stuff. He's won a Super Bowl. But like Sean Payton's not going to be the Colts' next head coach. And so outside of him and, you know, the beloved Jim Harbaugh, these are the guys you have. And I think that there's still some great options there if you take them seriously. To put a bow on the Jeff Saturday discussion, I think if they hire Jeff Saturday, which they won't, they can't. If they do, that tells you that all along that was the plan, that Jim Irsay wanted him to be the head coach full time. And that despite unbelievably bad returns, right, this disastrous eight-game stint that ended in historically bad fashion with the longest losing streak to close a season since the first year the Colts existed in 1953, the historic losses in Dallas and Minnesota. You guys watch those games. That would just tell me that this was the plan all along. And then this was a charade. These coaching interviews was a charade, and it was a waste of their time, and it was a waste of Chris Ballard's time. And that's a disaster. That's a disaster waiting to happen. That's bad football. That's bad management. It would create inner turmoil, I think, in the building that would be very difficult to overcome. That's just my opinion. Again, nobody's told me that, but just kind of putting the pieces together, it's just really hard for me to see them sticking with Jeff Saturday after such an extensive search with a lot of qualified, diverse, skilled, talented coaches that they brought in that have been in this league a long time, that have had a lot of success, and that are doing things right now that the Colts covet in a lot of ways. And I mean that with Shane Steichen doing what he's with, with Jalen Hurts and Mike Kafka with Daniel Jones and, you know, Enemy's coach Mahomes. And, and he just continues to produce excellence every single year. So it's fascinating on that front. We'll see what happens. I think what we'll start to learn is when they start to get to a second round of interviews. I think the first rounds will probably conclude this week. But again, these are going to get more difficult because of scheduling, because these guys are playing very important games. They're coaching very important games this weekend. And so it becomes a little bit more harder to schedule those interviews right now. And then we'll get into the second round of interviews probably next week. And then, you know, I'm just ballparking maybe around the Super Bowl time. We'll get an answer. But as someone told me a couple of weeks ago, like, look, these things can can drag on and drag on and they can happen really quickly. So you just need one ball to fall. And essentially, maybe one hire happens in Denver, and then we'll see. But, James, you have a story up this morning about sort of the next phase of this team because it starts at the most important position. C.J. Stroud declared on Monday. So really, if you look at the Colts' options at the top of the draft, you've got Bryce Young, you've got C.J. Stroud, you've got Will Levis out of Kentucky, perhaps Anthony Richardson out of Florida. Where do they go? Because they've got another hole to fill, I think, in terms of a bridge quarterback and those options aren't that great either yeah so this is fascinating i had a good time kind of breaking this stuff down and i guess i want to start off with i started off with that naheem hines quote that you got from him you know after you know season started when he's going it's not an excuse but every year we have a new quarterback and you know he's found his guy he's off in like you know disneyland basically now right he's 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 having a a blast he's got josh allen you know their their last week's win was ugly who cares it's the playoffs you just win and you you move on you don't get style points 
And then, you know, to flip that with Mo Ali Cox, who is still here, you know, and I believe preparing for his his sixth season, he's like, we need some stability, you know, at the most important position. And he's not lying. He, I mean, all the guys said it, you know, whether it was, you know, to us or to themselves or, or to their teammates, like we all know that's what they're thinking. You get some responses from Mo Ali Cox, who's still here, you know, like, man, we still got to find a guy. And so the, now is the time for the Colts to do that. They have the options to do. They have the, the pick to do that. And I think what I want to start with is how unprecedented it would be for the Colts to trade up to draft Bryce Young. I think that he's, I don't think he's a consensus number one, but I think he's probably number one on most draft boards. But I just, again, I had to go back and do some digging, Zach, and I was going through all these different <laughs> websites and all this stuff. So you know, I found an old ESPN article. 30 teams have traded up to draft a quarterback in the first round since the common draft era began in 1967. So of those 30 teams, only two of them have traded up to draft a quarterback that's under 6-2. And, the, you know, and that was the Browns with uh, Johnny Manziel in 2014. We know how that ended. Did not end well. Two seasons in the NFL, only seven touchdown passes. And then it was Michael Vick in the, in, in the Falcons in 2001. He was the first overall pick, and obviously he was pretty electric. Four-time pro bowler. But again, that's only twice since 1967. So I get Chris Ballard's traits, and he's a traits guy. He wants like the physical guy. Like, so I would see him leaning maybe more towards a a CJ Stroud or, or Will Levis because of what they can do and what they can offer. However, I would be pretty surprised if the Colts traded up to draft Bryce Young. I think if they were to trade up, it would be to kind of leverage themselves against Houston to make sure they get their guy and don't, you know, give them away to a division rival. But that's my biggest thing is like, you know, you have these options and you have these guys who are, are, are all have their pros and cons. But I just don't see the Colts trading up and giving away the number four pick, number 35, a future first rounder, possibly a player, all the way up to number one and get a quarterback that's small. So. We'll see. I mean, there there might be discussed as far as their options, what they could do. But I just, you know, you've known me. What do you think he would do? I just, I mean, Zach, it, it would really surprise me if they did that. Because, again, it's not just him. That would be unprecedented for the league. Seriously. This is interesting. And Dane Brugler, who's, who's the man, who's the draft whiz for The Athletic, his article, The Beast, is a must-read every year, and I'm really looking forward to it this year. I was talking to Dane a little bit yesterday about his mock draft because he has the Colts trading up to draft Bryce Young at the top. And I said, you know as well as anybody that Chris values traits a lot, right? Like there's a story of him not wanting to bring in Kenny Moore because he didn't like 5'10 corners that are 5'10 or shorter, right? And and that's one position, but like Chris values the things that you can't teach, size, speed, height. And it's really important in this league, obviously, at that position because of where the league is going with the Josh Allens and the mobile quarterbacks. But Dane was like, look, I know as well as anybody, they used to work together back in the day, what Chris values and what he looks for in players. But he thinks he breaks that norm in order to go get Bryce Young because he feels Young is that much separated himself from Levis and from Stroud. Now, we've got a long way to go. We got pro days and the senior bowl and the combine, and there's a lot to learn in these interviews that they're going to sit down with. I mean, that for a quarterback, those interviews are essential because you're going to be the face of the franchise. And so much of it is not just football. But I thought that was fascinating that, that Dane was as convicted as he was that the Colts are willing to make this move. And, and I agree that they're willing to make this move 
even if it is Bryce Young, who's short, and that's a huge concern, and we're going to hear a lot about that. But the dude can play, and his vision and accuracy seems to stand out a little bit from Levis, who's much more of a wild card, didn't have a great last year at Kentucky, but can throw the ball a mile. And then Stroud, who jumped in, and and obviously the, the lasting image of Stroud is having his best game as a collegian against the best team in the country, uh, against Georgia in that game that Ohio State should have won in the college football playoff semifinal. So that's going to be fun. And, you know, the interesting part is the last two times the Colts, we knew we're going to draft a quarterback early in the draft. It was a debate between two players and, and it was really going to be Peyton and it was going to be luck. And this time these guys are so imperfect that it's going to be probably something that leads up into draft day of where they, where they go with that pick. And I think that's going to be fascinating, but Moelle Cox is right. Like the, the Colts have boxed themselves into this position where you need to take a quarterback in a draft where none of these guys are sure things. That's the Colts' fault, but this is where they're at. I know Jim Mersey is tired of the veteran route. Now, if they bring in a veteran, it'll just be to be a bridge. Um, maybe they roll with Ellinger. I don't know. The reality is they're going to draft a quarterback with the fourth pick, or if they trade up to three or two to one, they're going to draft a quarterback. And who's going to be the head coach that starts this new era of Colts football with that quarterback? And how much time does that quarterback need? You You kind of think like, when do you know if he's a guy or not? And I think it usually takes until the second year, probably by Thanksgiving, to really know. I, I don't think we know yet about Justin Fields, although he made some progress this year and probably needs to get better with his arm as opposed to his legs because he's such a dynamic leg you know, running threat. But that's going to be fascinating. And, and, and I'm not ruling anything out. And I think Chris needs to stop leaning on these maxims that he's had for so long because he's been a little bit too stubborn in the past and it's hurt him in free agency. It's hurt him in the draft and he hasn't been as aggressive or as perhaps he hasn't swung for the fences yet. And he needs to like, it's time to stop sitting on the sideline and swing for the fences. And and my point to put a bow on this really long ramble is you're not drafting Andrew Luck. You're not going to draft a guy and know that he's the guy. And Ballard mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but like you're going to draft a guy and you're going to have to see if he's the guy. And so the infrastructure around him, starting with the head coach, is essential. And you're going to have to put this guy in the best position to succeed over the next couple of years because it's going to be there's going to be some lumps and there's going to be a, probably a losing season next year. And it's not going to be 11 and five in the playoffs like Andrew's first year. So that's going to be what's fascinating. Who do they see projecting to improve over the next couple of years? And that's why I think the interviews are going to be so fascinating. And really, each of these three top quarterbacks, which I think the Colts will end up with one of them is really different. They have different skill sets and they have different stories to get to this point. Absolutely. I mean, I asked Chris Ballard this flat out, you know, if Matt Ryan will be back next season. Obviously, he didn't answer that, but we all know that's a no. He will not be back next season. It makes no sense from a play standpoint. It definitely makes doesn't make sense from a, a financial standpoint. You're just going to have to bite the bullet and, and, and you know, and pay on the 18 million basically to cut him. Because if you keep him, it's going to cost you 35 and Quarterbacks that make $35 million a year need to be starters. They need to be good. I guess he would be great from like a learning and teaching aspect. Cause I think that he's, you know, one of the more cerebral quarterbacks. And obviously he's got a track record to back up like a lot of years of success in this league. But again, that's just too much to pay for um, someone you're not going to be relying on, quite frankly, to to do much of anything for your team. And so I think that he's gone. I think that there's a good chance that Nick Foles may be gone too. He did not sound like someone who, whose mind was completely in football, you know, in some of those last, you know, end, end of season press conferences, he was pretty 
philosophical. And I was like, this is almost too philosophical. This isn't about football anymore. You're talking about life and neighbors and, you know, being a kid and playing the game you love and relationships. And I'm like, mm, you're not talking about wins and losses anymore. And then, he, and then he flat out told us like, you know, hey, were you champion at the bit to play? And he's like, no, I, I actually wasn't. I, you know, and it's like, what? You weren't, you weren't like, he's like, no, I came here for, to be Matt Ryan's backup. Came here for Frank Reich. I mean, both of those guys are probably going to be gone next season. So does that mean Nick Foles as well? And so that puts the Colts possibly in the market for, you know, a bridge quarterback to help a Bryce Young, to help a TJ Stroud, to help a Will Levis. And, you know, I don't see the Colts taking Anthony Richardson. I think that's a there's a big gap in between him and the other three quarterbacks, even though he is probably the best athlete and some of the stuff that he can do is special. I don't think I don't see that happening. So Colts fans can kind of relax on that on that end. Um, I just threw him in there because it is intriguing. Um, and there, there's no way they would trade back, you know, and, and get him. No way, no way. Too important of a draft. Again, getting back to Matt Ryan, I just think that 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 ship has kind of sailed. Um, you move on, and even if you do get a guy who, you know, I think Bryce is probably the most polished when it comes to decision making, processing, you know, how quickly he can read defenses and things like that, you know. But even if you get a, a Bryce Young or a Will Levis, where they're more of a project, and even Bryce too, because he's not like perfect, right? And you want to bring them along, you maybe you do kind of go that route where I'm not saying you sit your top pick the entire season, but you know, you don't throw them in the fire right away because as we know, there's other issues with this team, one of them being the offensive line. So you don't want to throw them out there and get them killed. I'm gonna head down to the Kentucky Pro Day in March. I'm gonna do the same thing with Ohio State to get an up close and personal view of Will Levis and CJ Stroud. It's gonna be a fun couple months. There's gonna be a lot of rumors. Sit tight. We're gonna find out more. But James, I think it's pretty obvious that the Colts they really can't bring back Matt Ryan. They, I don't know if they're going to bring back Nick Foles because I don't think Nick Foles wants to come back. I think that's pretty obvious that they're going to be moving in a pretty different direction at quarterback next year. Again, that's what fixes offseason so fascinating, right? There's there's one step and then there's the next step and then there's another step, right? So um, we'll have all that covered for you. But the biggest ones being the head coach and the quarterback decision, which will come in the next couple of months. Um, obviously, the quarterback decision will make come you know way later than the, than the head coaching um, job, but. I'm excited about it just because I feel like after kind of going through a season that we knew probably after the Denver game was going to be pretty rough. Now there, there is some, you know, semblance of, okay, this can get corrected. This is how you do it. This is what's going to look different. And will it all work out? Who knows, but we will have obviously something to write about, something to talk about. Fans will be able to debate for months about, you know, this decision, that decision. So I like this stuff a lot and I, it will be fascinating to figure out like who kind of separates themselves as far as head coaching candidates. And also, as far as just uh, quarterbacks, because again, like you said, it's not all what you can do on the field. I mean, you have to be able to prove that you're you can learn and you're coachable and things like that, which I'm sure most of these guys are. I haven't heard anything like, you know, that's like a red flag for any of these top guys. So we'll see. I just think that, you know, I think that CJ Stroud probably did the most to help himself out of all these top guys over maybe that last like, you know, month of the season, especially that last game, like. You usually don't rate guys or evaluate guys off of one game, but if you are going to have the game, it has to be against Georgia. Exactly. So it's not like he did this against, you know, some no-name school. Exactly. I mean, he balled out. And so um, I'm excited. I was asked this, you know, I believe on Twitter, someone asked, like, who, who's your guy? I think that Bryce is probably the most polished guy. I think he's probably the number one on, like, my little draft big board or whatever. But, again, I could see the Colts leaning, you know, more towards a C.J. Stroud type just because of, you know, the build, he's a little more sturdy. You, and that, again, you, you you base these things off of the past, right? So you're looking like, okay, 
He's 6'3", you know, he's got some, he's like 220, 215, whatever. He's got some weight on him. He's going to hold up if he gets hit. That obviously means a lot in football. And in a league where the guys are bigger, stronger, and faster, and they're hitting you harder, you you hope that, you know, you don't have a quarterback that's going to get dinged up too quickly. And we've seen, you know, little quarterbacks, quite frankly, you know, who are mobile get dinged up in years past. You know, Lamar Jackson isn't that big of a guy. He's 6'2". You know, uh, Kyler Murray, he's he's a he's a smaller guy. He's gotten dinged up. If you are going to get that Bryce Young type, if the Colts are really going to trade up and get him, you have to make sure that you're able to protect him as well. So it's so fascinating, right? Like there are so many ways it could go. This could go both coaching and quarterback and free agency. And so we'll have it all covered, uh, you know, in the weeks to come. I actually just booked my uh, stuff for the senior bowl. So I'll be heading there in a couple of weeks. My first time down in Mobile, Alabama, and uh, it'll be pretty exciting. Yeah, like, that's a good point. Like, Bryce Young's six feet, maybe. Like, you're going to throw that guy in, into this offensive line where Matt Ryan and Nick Foles and Sam Ellinger were running for their life almost every down. Now, the line improved over the course of the season, but that's a very real question they need to be asking themselves right now. I'm curious about, like, the Senior Bowl. Like, if you don't have a head coach hired by then, what does it look like? Who do you send? How unique would it be to be evaluating talent and you don't know, you know, who's going to be coaching that talent just yet? So... There's like a lot of ways to look at a lot of things over the next few weeks. Like it's not just, you know, about the senior bowl, who's there as a player, but like who's there as, a, as like a personnel from a coaching standpoint. So exciting stuff, man. They're playing catch up. That's the reality. In, in, in years past, Frank Reich had been on the sideline at the senior bowl watching the quarterbacks and the offensive players. So that's the reality. But it doesn't necessarily mean they're screwed. They will dig into draft meetings. And these are long, long days, 12, 13, 14 hour days for the personnel staff. In February, these guys don't even see the sun for the entire month. So that'll come. But again, I don't have a decision because I haven't watched these guys yet. And after this coaching search, I'm going to dig into the tape, especially on those top three, top four, and, and really get to know these guys and how they played this season and what they can do and what their limitations are. And I'm going to talk to people around those programs and really map out. Here's what the Colts are going to weigh this decision based on in the next couple of weeks and months. And it's going to be fascinating because... At the end of the day, it's going to be a gamble no matter who you take. It's going to be a bet, and you better be right because if you're not, as Ballard has reminded us a million times, if you're wrong, it sets the franchise back several years. And I know Ursay has said that as well. So they're not wrong to mention the fact that just because they draft a quarterback doesn't mean they have the question answered. They need to draft the right quarterback. So that's what the next couple months are about. But that's why it's going to be so fascinating for us and for you guys out there as fans. First things first, they need to hire a head coach. They need to get to the second round of those interviews. That will probably happen next week. And then they need to move into the draft. And it's not just the first pick because they have second, third, and fourth rounders as well. And they need to add some pieces as well. And they need to fix that offensive line. So there's a lot of questions this team needs to answer in the next couple months. But that's what the offseason is about, right, James? It's about hope. It's about fixing your team. It's about getting people to believe it will be better than it was last year. And it couldn't be worse than it was last year for a lot of you guys out there. I know you soldiered through a tough season. So we've got a lot to come Had an interesting conversation with Kenny Moore on locker room cleanout day that I'm going to share about his uncertain future with the Colts. We've got a lot more on the coaching search coming next week. I'm continuing to talk to people on that front. James, like he mentioned, will be in the senior bowl in a couple of weeks. So you know, someone asked me the other day, like, man, offseason, you're finally getting a chance to breathe. I'm like, no, man, like not even close. We've got a lot more to come on The Athletic for you guys. Thank you for listening. And always, 
We will catch up with you guys next week. Unless there's breaking news, I don't think there will be. I think they're taking their time with this search. But again, things can happen quickly. So for James Boyd, I'm Zach Kiefer. Thank you as always for listening, and we'll catch up with you guys next week.